0: a new series today, a series we've been looking forward to for a few weeks now, and the title of our series is going to be called Our Journey to Jesus. Now, I don't want you to get confused because the title of our discipleship group is called Our Journey with Jesus, okay? This one is called "Journey," Our Journey to Jesus. We are seeking to notice how the Old Testament, especially Genesis, some of the classic stories from Genesis guide us to our Lord Jesus Christ. So here's basically the plan for these sermons, is we're going to do two parts with every single lesson. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at the Old Testament story in part number one, and then next Sunday we will look at part two and talk about what that lesson means in following our Lord Jesus Christ. So today we're going to go right at the beginning. If you have your Bibles, open to Genesis chapter 1. And today's lesson is going to be called, In the Beginning. And you can tell I plagiarized that title. In the Beginning is the lesson today, and we're going to look at Genesis 1, the entire chapter, and a few verses of Genesis chapter 2. But before we get there, I'm going to ask you a question. What would be, and this is rhetorical, but you can answer it inwardly, what would be your favorite invention or creation? Do you have one? A favorite invention or creation. I'm going to give you my top ten favorite creations or best creations according to me. Okay, now these creations might not be your favorite creations, but it doesn't matter. These are Pastor Todd's favorite creations or inventions. Okay, some of these are a little silly, but that's okay. Number one, or excuse me, we're going backwards. Number ten, best creation ever, which I believe, is the cup holder. Um. I don't know if it's because I have a lot of kids, but I always have some sort of fluid liquid next to me in the car. And if there weren't cup holders, in fact, several cup holders, I would have many accidents. In fact, sometimes they give you that little, you ever go to a drive through and you have more than one drink they're giving you and they give you that little cup carrier? I have had that thing on more than one occasion, completely dump over on the seat next to me. And I've had to go into the nooks and crannies and clean out that stuff. So I'm thankful for the cup holder that holds it secure, nice and secure. That is a good invention. Here's number nine, which might tell you a little bit about my personality, is the mute button. I love the mute button on the TV clicker because I hate commercials. I hate loud things. Even though I have seven kids, I don't know how that works. You'd think I'd be used to loud things, but I'm not. And maybe that's why. Maybe my stress level is already so high, I need that mute button too mute loud things in fact let me say this do you guys ever wish there was a mute button in real life right has anyone you ever just t- talk to someone really loud and you're just like okay let's simmer down a little bit let's just turn them on mute I think I could read their lips don't talk about that now what's that the mute button right now oh you want to mute me he has in fact Kevin has a mute button back there he can actually mute Pastor Todd if he just doesn't like what I'm saying did you just do it he just did it he just did it <laughs> Nic- nicely played Kevin the mute button, he just muted me. Okay, that's that's a that's a really good creation. I think that's that's one I use a lot. Here's another one that I really love, and we're coming out of the season that this is necessary. But if you guys know me, you know I really love air conditioners. I've often been that person who will not only turn on the air conditioner, but be so hot and so miserable, I will stand directly in front of the air conditioner. Anyone else? Thank yes, there are a couple, okay. And I caught my son doing that the other day, and I was like, oh, the apple does not fall far from the tree. The air conditioner is a wonderful invention. It keeps me nice and cool in those hot and sticky summers, which we had a very hot and sticky summer. But we're coming out of it, right? Even though there's no fall colors out there yet, it's becoming a little bit cooler, which I'm thankful for. Here's number seven, top ten best create, according to me, slippers. Slippers. Does anyone use slippers? Let's see a show of hands for those who use slippers. We got one over here. we we got a couple of young adults using slippers. Very nice couple in the back. I love slippers. Slippers are one of those things I use even in the summer. I always wear slippers. My wife likes to go barefoot a lot, and I don't. I like to wear slippers. So you guys remember Air Jordans, right? Growing up with Air Jordans. I now have air Edies or Scrooges. That's what I call my slippers, the air Scrooges because I love slippers. I, I have no, Qualms against using slippers even though it ages me. I love slippers. I wear them all year long. Here's number six a very specific one decaf Hazelnut cream coffee now you guys are probably going what hey decaf yes, I I need decaf Okay, I can only have a little bit of caffeine and decaf is, is kind of my My uh, my coffee I drink it no matter what it makes me feel like I'm still getting a buzz I don't know why that is but I still need my coffee and this coffee right here is the best coffee I've ever tasted in my life. Has anyone ever had that coffee or that brand of coffee? You've had it before. It's really lovely. Um, I'm not doing a commercial here. You guys can throw the mute button back on if you think this is a commercial. But I love that coffee. Here's number five, top creation according to Pastor Todd. The memory foam mattress pad. Anyone have one of these? We're lining up here, Crystal. we got a lot of these same things in common here. A memory foam mattress pad. I don't know what it is, but I used to have a lot of back issues, and we got one of these memory foam mattress pads, and, man, my back is feeling a whole lot better. I get a good night's sleep, which is a very good thing when you have seven kids. Here's number four, best creation. Two types of food that I like. What's your favorite food? Anyone want to shout it out? Favorite food? Pizza. Pizza. Okay, so you're 12 years old. Anyone else? (laughs) Just teasing. Favorite food? cottage cheese well you're the only two in the universe I think then Um, I'm going to give you two of my favorite foods okay and there's a dessert and there's a main course and they're both being consumed by me this season it is chili which if you know anything about Wyoming Valley Church we have an annual chili cook-off that we need to announce soon that is typically before Thanksgiving somewhere in November and every year we make pots of chili and then we vote on who's best and I never win but I really am the best And uh, I make a good pot of chili. But I also love this thing my wife makes called banana cream pie. Has anyone ever had that? Banana cream pie? Banana cream pie is tremendous. And Janine makes it, and I love it. It's one of my favorite desserts. One of the best inventions. Here's number three, which you guys know by now. Um, I think this is a wonderful invention. You guys are going to laugh at me because you're going to think I'm ancient. The Blackberry phone. (laughs) You guys knew it was coming, right? You knew it was going to come. The BlackBerry phone. Anyone ever used the BlackBerry phone in the past? Ten years ago, maybe in the past. Yeah, in the past. Every, everyone had a BlackBerry. Notice everyone had it at one moment, and then they realized. You didn't have one. You never had a BlackBerry phone. There's still time, Joan. Okay. There's still time. <laughs> I can get you the link, okay? It's, a, it's, it's from the 90s, but I can get you the link. Uh, the BlackBerry phone. I love the keyboard. I type on it all the time. Number two is very fitting for right now. Best creations ever is autumn. Anyone agree with me? Autumn. My favorite time of year is right now. I love autumn. I want the colors to come. It's still pretty green out there, but I love the cool weather. I love this time of year. Number one, she should be out here because this is my most sappy one, is my wife. My wife is my favorite creation ever because she blesses my life more than anyone in this uh, world, and I'm just so thankful for her. So what would be your top ten creations? We're going to look at creation today, and that's the point. Take your Bibles and go to Genesis chapter 1. As we look at the beginning, and we're going to read the entire chapter 1 and a few verses, four verses of chapter 2, listen to the word of God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, Let there be light, and there was light. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning one day. Then God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. God made the expanse and separated the waters which were below the expanse from the waters which were above the expanse, and it was so. God called the expanse heaven. And there was evening, and there was morning, a second day. Then God said, Let the waters below the heavens be gathered into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the gathering of the waters he called seas. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees on the earth bearing fruit after their kind with seed in them. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed after their kind, and trees bearing fruit with seed in them after their kind, and God saw that it was good, that it was evening and there was morning a third day. Then God said, Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years, and let them be for lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth. And it was so. God made the two great lights, the greater light to govern the day and the lesser light to govern the night. He made the stars also. God placed them in the expanse, the heavens, to give light on the earth and to govern the day and the night and to separate the light from the darkness and God saw that it was good. There was evening and there was morning, a fourth day. Then God said, let the waters team with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth in the open expanse of the heavens. God created the giant sea monsters and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarmed after their kind, and every winged bird after its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. There was evening and there was... Then God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures after their kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. God made the beasts of the earth after their kind and the cattle after their kind and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind and God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image in the image of God he created him male and female he created them. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed, and all their hosts. By the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because in it he rested from all his work which he had done, which he had created and made. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created and the day that the Lord God made heaven and earth. In the beginning is the title of our lesson today. In the beginning, we begin our new series fittingly at the beginning of everything. It seems fitting, right, to start a new series at the beginning. Well, we're going to start at the beginning of everything with this new series. And all of creation, all of religion, all of Christianity hangs upon the truth that we speak of today. If you and I can wrap our heads around this truth and believe it, we're in very good position to journey to Jesus. And that is the whole point of our new series, okay? Journey to Jesus. We are not just telling the Old Testament stories. We are going to show how these Old Testament stories unlock our Lord Jesus Christ in our minds. But if there is no creator, the life we have today does not matter. Even if all of this around us could exist without God, and that is a ludicrous notion, it would be random. It would be purposeless. It would be utterly pointless. Life would have no meaning whatsoever without a creator. Without a creator, what is all of this about? We're just a bunch of living cells, living upon a large rock, and our lives would make no sense at all. Without a creator, we should do as the prophet Isaiah says, all ungodly think about their lives. He says in Isaiah 22:13, Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. If there is no creator, that's exactly how we should live. It is. Without a creator, we aren't loved, we aren't special, and we have no future. Without a creator, it does not matter if we live or die because we are destined for eternal non-existence. Without a creator and without eternal life, life on the earth is meaningless. Now that sounds depressing, doesn't it? That's kind of how the world lives. I don't understand how they can live that way because that's a depressing thought to have if they believe there is no creator. But you're here today. You're here because you believe, and thankfully it is true, that there is a creator. There is a creator. Genesis, the book Genesis, was written for us so that all of the instincts inside of us that tell us that there must be a creator and we must be uniquely crafted can be validated. By the Holy Word of God. We don't just know it inside. We know it because God declares it. And that's what we're looking at today. When we read the first two chapters of Genesis, we're supposed to both marvel at God's handiwork and at the same time say to ourselves, that makes perfect sense. How could all of this exist otherwise? Now, as we're going to learn in a couple weeks, the world that God created was broken by mankind. We broke the earth. And we're going to discuss down the road in depth why that happened and how that happened, how we broke the world. But know this, and you can see it very clearly in Genesis, when God created the world, he made it perfect. Perfect. Because our God is perfect. Notice the phrasing. It says it over and over and over. It was good. It was good. It says it in verse 4, verse 10, verse 12, verse 18, verse 21, Verse 25 and verse 31. God made the world the only way he could make it. He made it good. He made it very good. He made it perfect. Now the world, even though it's been stained by sin now, and we know that, we still live in a very beautiful and breathtaking world, don't we? you ever visited places and parts of the world that just take your breath away? And if it's still beautiful after sin has stained every part of this world... Imagine. just take your mind for a moment and imagine what it must have looked like at the beginning when it was perfect, when there was no sin and no darkness and no evil upon the world. Imagine what that must have looked like because that's a glimpse of the paradise one day we are waiting for. In fact, let's not move too quickly today, okay? Let's go back to the beginning, the beginning of everything, and let's notice a couple things, okay? The first thing we need to notice is this. In the beginning... God. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Do you notice that? In the beginning, in the Genesis of everything, that's what the word Genesis means, the beginning of everything, God is there. I mean, if it's the beginning of everything, how is God there? How is anybody there? And of course, this means that our God was there before the beginning. Take a moment to think about that. Before the beginning, God was there. Now, scientists, they try to tell us that we have everything that we have in this world that was created and it was done so by nothing. And if you go back and you go back to their logic, they basically say that stuff blew up in the sky and here we are. But if you pin those scientists down and ask them where did the stuff come from that blew up, they have no answers They would have to admit that they would say, we don't know, or nothing exploded, and here we all are. At the beginning, according to scientists, there was nothing, nothing at the beginning. But here we all are. Think of that logic, nothing exploded, and here is this world, here we are today. How can anything be created by nothing? I want you to try that today, okay? Take nothing into your yard or your garage and make something, nothing. Don't take any tools, don't take any materials, take nothing and come out with a project and then bring it to me next Sunday and show me it. And said, I made this literally out of nothing. (laughs) It's not going to work. That's an impossible notion. You cannot create anything from nothing. But if God was there before everything was created, then all of creation is to his credit and his glory, right? In fact, what's more impossible to believe? That we have a creator who created everything, who is beautiful and awesome and complex and glorious, or that the earth, the trees, the animals, the rivers, the seasons, the solar system, the fruits, the babies, and our complex human mind came about from nothing. And I know you all agree with this. I understand that. That's why you're here today. But these are very important truths for us to believe. And If this doctrine that God is there at the beginning is true, and it is true, there are four important things about God that we need to know. Four important things about God that if he is there at the beginning, these things must be true. Number one, God is eternal. God is eternal. God is before time. Before time began, God was there, which means God is outside of time. Or maybe a better way to say this is God is beyond time, before time, the author of time. We don't know anything in this universe without time attached to it, right? We all are controlled by our clocks and calendars, aren't we? Every part of the day, we're looking at the clock and the calendar because everything has time attached to it. In fact, those scientists that I mentioned measure the entire universe by light years. Light years. And they attempt to suppress the truth about God by attaching millions and billions of years to creation, because their logic follows this way. If you have enough time, anything can happen. It's amazing the lengths people go to to get rid of God. It's amazing. But time was created by God. Time is important to us, but time does not confine our God. Time is a law that he created for this world. Time is. Submits to God, not the other way around. Isn't that cool to know that in heaven there's no time? Even though it's eternity, we're not going to be looking at our clocks and calendars going, really, it's April already. Wow, that went fast. Only another eternity to go. That's not going to happen. There's no time in eternity. But our God is eternal. He's always been. Everything that you and I know had a beginning, everything, including ourselves. But God, God had no beginning. Consider that for a moment. God is eternal, and I know it makes your brain hurt to think about that, but we need to. There was never a period where God was not. He always was, he always is, and he always will be. He never came into existence, and he will never cease to exist. Scripture calls him the great I am. And that's a unique phrasing, but think about that. The great I am, not the great I was, or the great I will be, but the great I am. We like to make up terms to help our minds understand it, such as eternity past. Anyone ever use that? Eternity past. But to me, that's kind of a silly phrase. Because eternity doesn't have a past. Eternity doesn't have a present, and eternity doesn't have a future. Eternity is not constrained or controlled by time whatsoever. Our God is not constrained or controlled by time. He is simply eternal. Eternal. It's an amazing thing to know. Here's number two. God is the creator. It says it plainly there in Genesis chapter one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Genesis says there was void before God made the world. Void. The world was formless and void and darkness was over the face of the deep. There was nothing to see. There was nothing to look at. Nothing existed in the physical realm but until God caused it to exist. You know that higher power that people refer to to sort of generalize God? That is an affront to our creator. He's not a higher power. He's God and he has a name and his name is Jehovah. The God and the creator of everything. Anything we see, anything we taste, anything we touch, anything we feel and smell is a result of God's creative will. We spend our lives breathing in God's oxygen into lungs that God created to sustain bodies that God created so we can live on an earth that God created amongst people that God created. And yet many of those people rarely to never even think about their creator. God is our creator, our maker, our crafter and we do not exist this moment without him. We're not here today Unless God made it so, and therefore he deserves all the credit for all the good that is upon this world. And all the beauty that still surrounds us, the credit goes to God and God alone. Once we believe that God is the creator, we can begin to make sense of this universe and this world. But not until then. Not until then. Otherwise we remain in darkness. Darkness. And we're capable of thinking and believing the most ludicrous notions about the creation. Unless we can see God as the creator, we live and we think in darkness. God begins the Bible by telling us that he alone, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, it is three in one, okay? We know that doctrine. Even though I am a walker, there are nine people in my family who all claim the name Walker. Actually, there's 11 if you count my parents. 11 people in this church who claim the name Walker. There are 11 of us, But there's also one family. God and God alone is the singular reason everything exists. God is our creator. Number three, God is holy. God is holy. The word holy means God is set apart as unique. Unique is different than the word special. Special means you're pretty cool, you're pretty special. But unique means there's none like you, you're different. And God is unique. There is no one truly like God in the ways that make him God. He's above all. He's before all. He's greater than all. He's higher than all. And he's different than all. That's what the word holy means. We can't replicate God. We can't duplicate God. We cannot mimic God. He is unlike any other and there is no being truly like God. He's holy. In fact, he's holy, holy, holy. That's how holy our God is. Not only is God eternal and not only is the Creator, but all of creation came into existence by His very command. God said it and it came to be. Who was like our God? Who was like Him? No one is truly like our God. He's holy, 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 and God is worthy of all exaltation, all praise, all service, all worship, and all love. Whatever do. Honor we give to man. And sometimes man is worthy of honor. It's true. We need to reserve a thousand times the same honor for our God, if not more, because God is holy. There is no one like him. There is no one higher or better or greater than our God. He is worthy of every exaltation you can throw at him. Number four, God is sovereign. Sovereign. Sometimes the royal people in this world use that word to define themselves. But the word sovereign is also very unique. It means you're in control and in authority of everything. Now, when I tell my kids to clean up the mess they made, sometimes they listen to me. And sometimes they ignore me like I'm a pop-up ad. And they mute, hit that mute button and say, Daddy, we don't need to listen to you right now. But when God commanded the universe to come into existence, it bowed to his very will. All the laws of physics came into be. All the solar system came to be. The earth and the animals came to be. Light and darkness were separated, just as God commanded. When God said, let there be light, light didn't think about it. Light didn't pause and consider whether light should come into existence. Light obeyed its master, and it came into existence that moment. And I want you to notice the pattern all the way through. When God declares it, so it is. So it is. This makes God sovereign over all. He's sovereign. He has full authority over everything, whether it's great or small. Everything came from him, and everything exists for him. He is sovereign. This exactly is precisely why it's damnable to not submit to God. I mean, back in the day, if you didn't submit to a king, you would actually lose your head. Off with their head, remember that? You would get decapitated if you refused to submit to the king's edicts and orders. But it seems like every day we say no to God, the only sovereign one of all. And that is a thousand times worse than not submitting to any earthly authority, because God is sovereign over all. In fact, the only one prior to mankind who refused to submit to God was Satan himself. As soon as Satan and his followers refused to submit to God, they were immediately punted out of heaven. And condemned to everlasting destruction because of it. Because you don't say no to the only sovereign one. It is a very, very bad idea. God is not our butler. He's not a genie in a bottle. He's not a version of Santa Claus. He is the sovereign God and he is to be submitted to in all things. All things. Now we've briefly, almost too briefly, looked at the creator. And we're going to circle back to him at the end. But I want to look at creation, and I want to do this quickly because I know most of you know the details of this, but I want us to understand what was created and how. God used one week to create the entire world. Let's work through the days together. Day one, the universe was void of everything except darkness and water, interestingly enough. And the earth had not been formed yet. Yet God said, day one, let there be light, and there was light. He separated the darkness from the light. That is an interesting parallel of the New Testament, which says God will one day separate light and darkness for all eternity. If you are light, you will be with God. If you are darkness, you will be in hell. God will separate light and darkness forever. And in day one, that's what he did. He separates light and darkness. God comes onto the scene, and the first thing we experience is light, because God is light. And he separated light from darkness, because darkness represents sin and evil. And God called the separation of that light and darkness good. And that's all he did on day one. He brought light into it and separated it from the darkness. And that was day one. That was important. The first thing God did is separate light from darkness. Number two, day number two, God created an expanse that we call sky. The scriptures use the word heavens. God created an expanse to separate the water above From the water below. So our rain comes from above, we know that. And we have water below called the seas and the oceans and the rivers. And God put something in the middle of those two things called an expanse or the heavens. He separated the waters. And if we fast forward to the story of Noah and Noah's ark, remember when the above water was opened and the below water also came forth at the same time? And a lot of water came across the earth. But God put an expanse in between the two that you and I call skies and God calls heavens. That's what he did on day two. Day three, God gathered the waters below into what he called seas. And he also created the dry land upon the earth. It was only water until that happened. He also created vegetation. He created plants. He created fruit trees. And he called all of these things good. That was day three. Day four... God created two specific lights. Remember day one, he created light. God came onto the scene and light came into the world. But it was general light because God was there. And day four, he created two specific lights, okay? The sun to govern the day and the moon to govern the night. And he also created all the stars. You ever looked at all the stars? You ever try to count the stars? It's quite an interesting, maddening process because you eventually have to stop. Even all the stars that I can see in one night sky, I cannot count them all. And that is a small, small, small fraction of what's out there. God created them all in one day the sun, the moon, and all the stars. And that was done to give Earth its light. So they would have proper light upon this world. That's an also an interesting metaphor that we need light in this world. And God saw that those two specific lights. We're good. And that was day four. Day five, God created all the creatures in the sea. Um, How many creatures are in the sea? Does anyone know? How many creatures, how many species are in the sea? How many birds are there in the air? God created the birds and the the sea creatures on one day. And uh, scientists, again, have no idea how many different species there are of birds or sea creatures. There's too many to count. There's too many to wrap our heads around. But God created them all in one day. Special, different, various, colorful, imaginative. There are just so many. And God created them all on day five, and he said that they were good. And that was day five. Day six is interesting. Day six is special, because God created the land creatures on day six. The beasts, the cattle, and everything that walks upon the land. And then God created his most amazing part of creation. He created man both male and female, and he created them in his own image. God created them unlike every other part of creation. They were made to be like God, to think like God, to love like God, to consider the things that God considers, to love God, to serve God, to be about good and to hate wickedness. He created them in his own image and he told mankind to multiply upon the face of the earth. And he also gave them sovereign authority over every other part of creation. They were supposed to manage the world. They were to rule over the world. They had rule over the animals and the beasts and the sea creatures and the fish and the birds and everything in it. God gave them authority. And God looked at man and he said he was good. He was made in his image and he was good. And that was day six. Day seven. God completed his creation and therefore he rested, simply rested on the seventh day. And this is not, of course, because God was tired. God does not get tired. God does not get weary. But God rested as a symbol for what you and I should do. He set the seventh day apart so that you and I would understand that there is to be one day that is different than all the others. God did no work on day seventh. He simply sanctified it as holy. And that was day seven. Now, even though we raced through those details, those details of creation are vitally important because of this, okay? Because of this. These details of creation are the foundation for our existence. The foundation for our existence. God alone is the foundation for our existence. And if God alone is the foundation for our existence, he's incredibly important to our lives, is he not? If he's the foundation for why you sit here today, he is very important to your life. We cannot over, over, overestimate, overstate, or exaggerate the importance of God. We cannot. He's crucial and foundational to our very existence. Now consider how many people are living upon the earth right now. Seven billion, some. Many of them breathing in God's oxygen, into God's lungs, using God's body to function upon the earth to live amongst God's people, and yet many of them, many of them, Are not giving any thought whatsoever to their Creator. Is that strange? Is that shocking? God is our Creator. God is holy. God is sovereign and God is eternal. Yet we live most of our lives without loving Him, without serving Him, without seeking to know His will. Does that sound like a problem? I want you to illustrate this, okay? I'm going to use an illustration of my own family. Now, my family, as you know, we have seven children. And even though I'm not the creator of those children, that belongs to God. He gets all the credit for those children. I did have a role in bringing those children into this world. And therefore, unfortunately, all those children look a little bit like daddy. And I'm their father, and my wife is their mother. And myself and my wife are the ones who care for those children. Most of their needs are met by mom and dad and a little sprinkling of Papa and Mimi (laughs) as well. And we do most of the caring of those children's needs often at the cost of our own desires and our own sleep. But let's assume, hypothetically speaking, and this is not true, but let's assume that those children of ours never think of us, never thank us, never serve us, never love us, never seek to know our desires. Not only that, but they hate us, practically. Every day they pursue their own desires and they seek to do the opposite of what we've taught them to do. Now, if we stopped providing for their needs, they would suffer and die. And that would cause them a great deal of anguish and pain. But it doesn't seem to matter because they are focused only upon their own desires. They can't stop thinking about what they want for one moment to consider what my wife and I need or what we want. Even though our desires and our will is crucial for their own well-being, And every day they move a little further away from loving us, and they seek to find new ways to hate us, to mock us, and to hurt us. Now, if that's true and it's not true about my children, my children are not that way, thankfully, would that be a problem? Or would it be no big deal as long as they became successful upon the earth? Does the whole thing not matter as long as they make something for themselves and become successful? Now, fortunately, we did not just describe my children, but unfortunately, we did just describe most of God's people made in his image. They don't love God. They don't serve God. They don't seek to know his will. And they practically hate him and practically hurt him and every day move a little further away from him. And he's the one taking care of all of their needs. He created us. And his will and his desires are crucial for my well-being and for your well-being. Yet we rarely to never think about how to love, serve, obey, and glorify the God that holds our seven octillion atoms together. Wrap your head around that. Seven octillion atoms in everybody. God governs them all. God holds them all together. The God who provides the oxygen for our lungs. The God who created those lungs. And the God who also provided a way for us to find forgiveness of our sins and eternal life. Yet we rarely to never think about him. Seek to serve him, seek to obey him, and seek to glorify him. Is that a problem? What if the very God who created us did not receive honor, glory, service, and love from his very creation? But not only that, we actively hate him speak against him, and try to find new ways to offend him year after year after year? Would that be a problem? See, as people in the world, we don't ask enough questions. We don't ask enough questions. We just accept the world as we see it, and we follow the same lifestyles that we see in those around us. But what if we asked better questions? What if we asked questions about why we are here? What is our purpose? Do you think most of us would find God and find the Lord Jesus Christ? If we simply inquired, why am I here, what is my purpose, and what should I do while I'm here? I'm going to show you a little bit of a clip, okay? I showed this a couple years ago. Many of you probably haven't seen this yet. It's a clip from a twilight zone. Anyone remember that show? Twilight Zone, back in the day. It's a clip from the twilight zone, and the title of this clip is called Five Characters in Search of an Exit. I'm just going to show a brief clip of this, okay? And we're going to illustrate this. Okay, we don't have sound. Can you turn that all the way up on the Mac? Can you hit the Mac button, unmute it? Can you turn it up? Take Spotify away. Take Spotify away. Can you close Spotify up? We might have to replay this. Okay. Pause. I'll be right back. Okay. Thank you. Um, Just to give you a little bit of a heads-up, they are not at hell, okay? But there's an interesting twist to that if you ever get a chance to see it. It's called Five Characters in Search of an Exit. The reason I wanted to show that clip is quite simple. A lot of people in this world don't ask questions. They don't wonder why they're here. They don't wonder what their purpose is. They don't want to wonder if there's a Creator, and if He loves them, and if they should love Him, and if they should serve Him. And I really believe this. When I started asking questions, real, deep questions, In my life, in my mid-twenties, I started to find the right answers. God started to reveal himself to me. But most of us don't ask any questions. We don't wonder why we're here. We don't wonder what our purpose is. We don't wonder if there's a creator and what he desires from us. Today, we woke up in God's created world. Today, we did. Okay? September 26, 2021, we, we woke up today in God's created world, and our heart was beating. And our lungs were breathing, and our minds started to think. And we use that heart, we use those lungs, and we use that mind to walk over to the throne of our own lives and we sat down on it. And we sat down on the throne and we started making a thousand decisions for our own lives without giving one inclination to our Creator. Why? Why do we not naturally seek out the will of the Creator? Listen to what it says in Isaiah 64, verse 8. But now, O Lord, you are our Father we are the clay and you are the potter and all of us are the work of your hand. What should we do? What should we do based on the knowledge that God is the creator? God is our creator. And I'm going to give you four things before we close today. Four things that we should do, five things, excuse me, that we should do based on the knowledge that God is our creator. Number one, we've looked at this for a couple weeks now. The first thing we should do is fear him. Fear him. That's a natural response to someone Being your creator. Last week we spoke about the fear of God, the practical fear of God. The fear of God is essential to a right understanding about everything. Everything. You do not begin to know God until you begin to fear God. God created us, which means God owns us. Did you know that he owns us? He owns us because he created us. If you create something that is yours to do with it as you wish, And as we're going to focus more upon next week, God twice owns us. He created us, and then when we went astray and we chased after our own sin, God purchased us back from Satan by the blood of Jesus. God twice owns us. He's our creator. He's our redeemer. And we should fear God and remember that he is our maker. He is our owner, and he is our God. To not know God is to not fear God. To not fear God is to know nothing else. If we fear God, we will begin to immediately know God intimately because God's goal is not for us to tremble around him. God's goal is for us to love him and for him to love us, but it begins with fearing him properly. Number two is we should know him. If we fear God, then we can know God. Imagine saying to someone that you know God. Now, does anybody know any famous celebrities? Anybody know any celebrities by name? Would they know you by name? Anybody? Ofer, we got a zero in the the room. I don't know any celebrities. No celebrities know my name. No celebrities think about me. No one famous in this world ever considers Todd Walker. Nobody. And I don't know them either. But I know the God of the universe. I know him by name. I call him Father. And I call him Savior. We can all intimately know God like a son or daughter knows their father. And we can get near to God because we fear God and because he loves us. He loves us. And if we can know God, then we can learn what it takes to love God and to serve God. And that's number three. Love God. We should know by now that God loves us, right? God loves every single part of his creation. Sometimes I tell my little two-year-old Marcus to not needlessly stomp on random insects that he finds because we don't need to just kill creatures for no reason. He likes to do it, though. But God loves all of his creation. He does love all of his creation, every part of it. But he primarily loves those made in his own image. We are unique in God's eyes. And we know that he loves us because when we went astray, guess what he did? He sent his own begotten son to die for us so he might redeem us back to himself and grant us eternal life. That's how we know him. That's how we know that he loves us. But did you know this? We can love God also? We can love God also. We can return that love back to God. We can give God, our creator, gifts of love and praise. Is that a privilege to you? According to Genesis 1, we used to be dust particles. According to the rest of scripture, we used to be sinners who chased sin instead of the glory of God. And now we have an opportunity to offer gifts of love to that God that he accepts. Is that a privilege? We can enter into what's called a covenant love relationship with the God of the universe. And not only does he not accept our love, but he delights in getting gifts of obedience and sacrifice from his people. I delight in the fact that my children sometimes make me paintings and colored things and hand them to me and say, Daddy, this is for you and this is a heart. And they have to tell me it's a heart because it looks like a kidney. They got Daddy's artistry skills. But I love those gifts and I put those gifts in my office and on the fridge and we love those because they're my children. We can love God. God accepts our love. He delights in our love. Number four, we can serve God. Guys, everybody needs a purpose in this life. Did you know that? And without a purpose people flounder and struggle and have suicidal thoughts. Did you know that? Because they don't know their purpose. They don't know why they're here. They don't know any purpose that they have. But imagine if not only we had a purpose, but we had the greatest purpose of anyone that's ever existed. We were servants of the Most High God. Imagine if our spiritual resume said, Servants of Jehovah. Can you imagine the heavenly clout that comes along with being God's servants? Now I want you to imagine a, being a physical bodyguard for some favorite celebrity here upon the earth. Would that be kind of cool? Pick your favorite celebrity, athlete, musician, actor, and you're their bodyguard. Would that be something cool to tell people? I'm the bodyguard of this famous celebrity. would you consider that a high purpose? Guys, there's no greater purpose in the history of creation than to serve God. He has called us into his courts to be his kingdom's ambassadors upon this world. This world is going to see and know God based on what we tell them and show them. We are God's ambassadors. We can serve God in a place that's very, very hard to do so. But it's also an amazing purpose. It's the most amazing purpose. I am a servant of Jehovah. Number five is we can thank God. The fact that we can know God, love God, and serve God should blow our minds. And it doesn't, unfortunately. We become numb to that fact. But I can love God, I can serve God, and I can know God. I was once a filthy soul. I had become fire tender in the eyes of God. And now I'm able to be his son. And I'm able to be a servant. And that alone should cause me to thankfully or continually thank the Lord over and over. I mentioned that people rarely think about their creator. But thinking about the creator, its anybody can do it. Children can do it. Uneducated people can do it. Just think about who made them. But we as recipients of his mercy should transition from thinking only to thanking him for who he is. Because we know him. We know what he's done for us. We know how he accomplished what he's done for us. With the blood of his son, thanking God is giving God what he rightly deserves. And thanking God means we're seeing God clearly. He is deserving of praise and adoration. See, God is the creator. We are the most significant part of his creation. And this is an amazing truth that can change our lives if we believe it. And this truth is the foundation for the most important truth that ever existed. If you don't know this truth, then you will never believe and receive the fact that Jesus came into the world to die on a cross to forgive you from your sins so that you might be reconciled to that God and live with him forever. This is why it's called Journey to Jesus. We need to understand the creation and the foundation in order to understand the Savior. But God loves us richly. God loves us deeply. And if he loves us when we went astray, how much love does he deserve from you and I? The one who crafted us, the one who faithfully provides for us, the one who redeemed us from Satan and from sin. How much love does that God deserve from you and from me? See, knowing about the Creator and knowing about the creation, it changes everything. Everything. And it also sets us up nicely for part two next week when we explore the Lord Jesus Christ. Next week, that's all we'll do. We'll talk about our Lord Jesus. We'll talk about how beautiful and amazing and sovereign and holy he is. But are you ready and willing to submit to your Creator? Are you really willing and ready to ask questions about how can I serve and love and know Him? And as we'll learn next week, it begins and it ends with following the Lord Jesus. Jesus also created us, and He was the one crucified on a cross so that we might be spared from condemnation and separation from our Creator for all eternity. Let us fear our creator. Let us know our creator. Let us love our creator. Let us serve our creator. Let us thank our creator because he's God and because he loves us deeply. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this lesson today. It might sound elementary. It might sound like things we've heard many times before, but it doesn't matter, Father, if it reminds us and it calibrates our minds to the fact that you are creator, You are the sovereign one. You are the one who crafted us and made us for a reason to serve you and to serve your kingdom and to be your ambassadors in a place that desperately needs to see light. Father, help us to see the purpose that we have to sink our teeth into that purpose. Whatever that looks like, Father, whatever you desire from our lives, let us find it in Jesus. Listening to Jesus, following Jesus, being exactly like the way he taught us to be. Because that is how we love, serve, and know you best. I pray for this new series, Father, that you would help us wrap our minds around what's most important. And that this church would understand that our God loves us. And that we can love him. And I pray that we'd get at it even today, Father. We wouldn't forget this. We would leave this place and immediately look look for opportunities to thank him, to serve him, and to love him. Because you love us first. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.